0: Good morning, morning. everybody bright-eyed this morning, happy to be in the house of the Lord. Well, I see also some new faces here today, uh, some visitors with us. You are welcome. Glad that you're here with us today at Sovereign Grace. Turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 15. As we continue in this wonderful chapter, um, it's amazing to watch how uh, Matthew's Gospel shows us the glory of our Lord in the everyday practical, isn't it? And that's what we'll be looking at today. If you're able to stand, would you stand with me in reverence for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to go, or where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Verse 38, those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children, and after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Let's pray. Father God Almighty, we pause as we read your word. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to see the power of your spirit here. That we would see also the, the majesty of your son, Jesus Christ, his, his divine authority played out in our physical reality. Lord, we, we, we fail in understanding the truth and somehow thinking that Jesus himself is distant from us and that you, the Father, are distant from us and that the Holy Spirit is some idea of who you are and we distance ourselves from your presence, but Lord, you show us here that your son, Jesus Christ, engages with lost sinners right where we are in this fallen world, in our physical needs. And so, God, I pray this morning you would show us the truth of this gospel that you came to rescue us from our sin. You stepped into our fallen world. You became like us, and you ministered to us right here. And so, God, let this word speak boldly to our spirits. Please teach us the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. A little bit of a summary, let's remind ourselves where we are here at the end of chapter 15. At this point, at the end of the chapter, Jesus has now withdrawn from the region of Galilee where the Pharisees and the scribes had come to him from Jerusalem and had criticized his disciples and criticized his teaching. And so this latter half of the the chapter, Jesus has now withdrawn to the Canaanite region of the Decapolis. And this is what we looked at last week uh, and the week before where there was a Canaanite mother who uh, came to Jesus begging for mercy and healing for her daughter. And then last week we saw as Jesus continued teaching in this Gentile region how great crowds followed him and he healed them and he, he met them in their physical need and how those physical needs, when you look at the needs of blindness and crippled, of being crippled and, and being lame and not being able to see and not being able to hear and even demon possessions, all of this even relates to our spiritual unhealthiness. The disease of our spirit can easily be seen in the diseases here of the body that Jesus was taking care of. So now we come to the end of Matthew 15, and we come to a passage that not many Christians, I have to confess, realize is in the gospel. We understand that Jesus fed 5,000 people, but we do not remember or often forget that Jesus also fed 4,000. The context here is different. We started talking about some of that last week, but today we're going to dig deep into this this second miracle recorded in the Gospels of Jesus' great feeding miracles. There's an importance here of what Jesus is doing. But let's think about here what's happening. Before we dive in into verse 32, let's talk about this. Hunger is a reality. And as I talk about food today, many of you are going to be sitting here and the tummies are going to be growling. Because you didn't eat breakfast this morning before you came to church. Some of us are confessing. They say that the most important meal is breakfast, right? The most important meal of the day. We may be hungry. Maybe we overslept this morning and didn't get up in time to prepare our bodies to come to worship. Hunger is a reality. I mean, we don't want to belittle this because hunger is a tragedy for those who do not have food. Hunger is real. Our bodies require nourishment lest it weakens. And let's just face the fact, if we do not eat, we eventually die. Teenagers feel like they're dying every day, don't they? Parents (laughs) who've had teenagers. We raised two teenage boys and we never thought that they would survive. They were so starved all the time. Still (laughs) are. Still are. So, but think about this. Think about what we do about food. I mean, we make the preparation of food an art. We even celebrate food with festivals. We, we are even entertained now by celebrity chefs. That's our form of entertainment. And I have to confess, I enjoy watching some of these, these cooking things now on YouTube. It used to be Food Network, and now YouTube has taken over with food things. Uh, I've learned how to cook from YouTube now. But it's entertainment, isn't it? Now, another thing to think about, we we may think that cookbooks are out of style, everything's on the internet, but think about this, cookbooks are still a lucrative business as seen in 2021 alone, there was a 42% increase in the sales of baking cookbooks, not just published, sold. A 42% increase in cookbook sales in 2021 alone. We love our food. Now we come to a passage here in the end of Matthew's gospel where Jesus is taking care of hunger. Matthew tells us about the second great feeding miracle in this Canaanite region, this Gentile region. That's the difference between the record of the feeding of the 4,000 versus the uh, the feeding of the 5,000 back in Matthew 14. Those who were fed in Matthew 14 were primarily Jewish people. Now here at, at the end of Matthew 15, Jesus is feeding 4,000 of primarily Gentile people, Canaanites. This is a Gentile miracle. Let's, let's just think about it. The record of this second great feeding miracle indicates that the first miracle with the 5,000 in Matthew 14 was not an exception. That tells us that Jesus repeated any miracle that he wanted to at any time. How many, how many Bible-believing Christians have enough Bible knowledge to re- realize that there was more than one feeding of mass people in the Gospels? Many people don't realize that. And so we skip over this important passage we're looking at today. Let's look here at verse 32. Actually, I am going to jump up to verse 31 because that's going to help us lead into verse 32. Verse 31. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they what? They glorified the God of Israel. That's what was happening. And now segueing into verse 32. In the midst of this glorification of the God of Israel, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Here, Matthew relates the miracle that's very similar to the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 back in Matthew 14. Jesus, in both places, I have compassion on the crowd. That's indicating who our Lord is. The reason this, this miracle is coming, Jesus has compassion on the crowd. Compassion is a key element of mercy. Mercy is a compassionate act of God upon us in the midst of our circumstances, whatever they may be. So here Matthew relates this miracle very similar to the one in Matthew 14 of the 5,000. And again, the only difference between the two is that in this, this is a Gentile miracle where 4,000 men are fed with seven loaves of bread and a few small fish with seven baskets of leftover broken pieces. In contrast, if you remember the 5,000 were fed with five loaves and two fish and they had 12 baskets of leftovers. Still a very similar miracle. Now, we could break down the numerology, as some people do, about the significance of the five baskets versus the seven baskets and all this stuff. We're not going to go there today. Numerology is not where we need to go. Numerology does not tell us what God is telling us. The lesson to see in these miracles of the feeding is that the power of God is not restricted to the means or outward assistance. Really, because look here, Jesus here, he sees the need. And when, when God is at work, when his son Jesus Christ is at work, there is no limit. He does what is necessary as he deems it necessary. The Gentiles here, they witnessed the glory of the God of Israel in Jesus Christ himself in those miracles and also in the many teachings. Because why is it that these these this crowd is now hungry? Here, verse 32, I have compassion on the crowd. Why? Because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. How many college students or those who have graduated from college remember the days when you were so busy you forgot to eat? Anybody ever been through that? They didn't go to a hard enough school, apparently. (laughs) I remember those days in my college years back in the late 80s and early 90s. I would be working. So, I mean, I worked 40, 50 hours a week, then went to school full time, too. There were many days, 11, 12 o'clock at night when my shift was finally over and I got home and I had to get up at five o'clock the next morning. I realized, wait a minute, I've not eaten today. You can be so busy that you forget to eat. And that's apparently what is happening here. Jesus' compassion here is described as coming from three days of fasting because these crowds were so intent on learning from Jesus, they didn't eat, they failed to eat. They either forgot to eat or needed less physical nourishment maybe because Jesus was feeding their souls. Can you imagine being with Jesus for three days and you were so enraptured with his teaching and his ministry that you forgot to eat or that you just didn't need it or a combination of both. But notice what's happening here. I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and I have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way, they loved their Lord so much. These were Gentiles. Remember this. These were Gentiles who were outside of the fold. They were not welcomed into the body. They were not welcomed into the people of God. And they saw God amongst them. And they were so enraptured with Jesus. They wouldn't eat. And his compassion here is described here in that way. Jesus understood this is why they're not eating. They were so in tune with my teaching and with my presence with them. They forgot to eat or they didn't have anything to eat. I must take care of them now. All we know is that they were hungry. But notice here also in verse 32, there's no record that these Gentiles murmured or complained that their stomach was empty because their souls were so full. There's no record of the Gentiles who followed persistently pleading with Jesus as the Canaanite mother did back in verses 22 through 28. These Gentiles here in this great feeding miracle, we have no record here that they were pleading for food. They were so enraptured with their Lord. And Jesus shows mercy on these 4,000 men plus women and children by feeding their physical needs while also feeding their souls. Now let's look here at verse 33. And the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Here again, the disciples are repeating their same mistake. Remember back in Matthew 14, 16, they did the same thing. But see, these disciples here in verse 33, they're repeating the same mistake back in verse chapter 14. Certainly they would have remembered the great privilege that they had in feeding the 5,000. I mean this second miracle couldn't have been much longer after that first one. Didn't they learn a lesson in the first miracle? <laughs> think about it. So only a few months later in this new region outside of Galilee in this Decapolis area these 12 men forgot that Jesus provides all that anyone needs. So if he could feed 5000 men plus women and children with only a few provisions, could he not do the same for these 4000 Gentiles? Did these 12 disciples forget the power of their Lord? How many of us do that? Lord takes care of us and we forget quickly, don't we? Is there not a day that goes by that we too forget that our Lord is faithful to us? Do we not forget that He provides for us? If we're hungry, He feeds us. If we're spiritually lost, He saves us. God is faithful. His Son is faithful. His Holy Spirit is faithful. That's what we can see here too, right? Now, the other thing we see here in this text, especially these great feeding miracles, we can't forget this. Look at verse 34. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. They're focused on bread here. The theme of bread in the Bible is unmistakably about the sustenance of life. Matter of fact, it, not only the in biblical times the word that was used there is actually the same word for bread and food. even today in many languages around the world, the bread the word for bread is the same word for generic word for food. In English we have different language different words. But in many languages around the world, still to this day, if you say the word for bread, you're also saying the same word food in generic terms. Uh, There's little change here in how the bread, even today, was made from the time it was made then. I mean, in ancient generations, in the time of Jesus, they made the bread the same way they make it today in a lot of ways. Bread, think about it, is a poor man's food. That's what it is. Bread is a poor man's food because it fills the the belly for longer periods of time. And grain generally is easily accessible. The significance here of the bread, though, is think about this. The significance of bread in the worship of God, especially in the Mosaic era during the tabernacle, uh, from, from them, from the Mosaic era when they had the tent of meeting, the tabernacle that would transform it would travel around from that time, even to this time of Jesus's day, where the the temple of Jerusalem that was built under Herod, all of the, bread was the key element of worship. Bread symbolized God's provision for life. It was key to the elements of worship, both for the physical needs for life and for the spiritual needs of eternal life. That's what this bread represented. Now, the feast days in the Bible pointed to God's provision. Things like the Feast of the Unleavened Bread that was mentioned back in Mark chapter 14 is the seven days of remembering God's deliverance from of Israel from Egyptian slavery. And this Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the very first day of this festival is the Passover. Bread is central to worship. So, this feeding of the, of the, of the many thousands, of the feeding of the five thousand and now the feeding of the four thousand, all of this is recorded in the gospels and it's significant. These great feeding miracles show that Jesus' almighty power to provide connects him to the Father in heaven who provides. He provided for the physical needs and he provided for the spiritual needs. And the bread symbolized this. Jesus provided all of this to show that he is for us in this physical reality of hunger and suffering. Let's not miss this point, folks. Jesus Christ entered into physical time and space. He's not some ghost or phantasmic idea that just floated around in the sky. He met people in this physical reality. That's important. And the hunger recognized here and the bread recognized here shows all of this. We cannot overlook this fact that Jesus came in this physical time. He came in a physical place in history. We are create. We remember here. We are created beings. We have both a body and soul not two separate things like a spirit that does its thing and the body that does its thing. Both are significant substances united under one whole being. This is how God has made us. This is a false idea in the church that has that has crept in from pagan ideology that somehow the spirit is more important than the body. No, they are both equally important in God's created order. It is not that the soul or the spirit is perfect and pure and our body is corrupt and should be tossed away. It is both together as God has created us. This is why when we go to, when we go to funerals, folks, it saddens me when, so, when the preacher gets up there and says, this is not Aunt Sally laying before you. This is just her physical shell. No, that's Aunt Sally. We weep and mourn over her body just as we weep and mourn over her soul. As God has designed it both. And this is what Jesus knows. This is why He feeds the body here. Because He knows how we are made. Remember, who was at the, pre- who was present at the beginning of all creation? Jesus was. Right there with the Father. He understands how we're made. Our soul is not something separate. From the body, they are both together. Jesus is feeding the soul and he's now feeding the body because if you miss one, you miss the other. So the breaking of bread here to feed these 4,000 is Jesus's bold declaration that the righteousness and salvation that is offered is made available to all, made available to the Gentiles who were not part of the chosen people of Israel the breaking of the bread here to feed 4000 is a religious spiritual reality right alongside of the physical hunger i'm here to feed the souls of all who will come it's in i mean this this miracle here at the end of matthew 15 remember He's saying that salvation is made available not just to the chosen nation of Israel. Salvation is made available for all of creation. Even the Gentiles. What God looks for is Is the repentant and faithful heart not a litmus test of religious ritual or even a litmus test of lineage and connection to the father Abraham? He's not looking for outward signs of righteousness. Instead, what is he looking for? He's looking for the inner truth of one's heart. What is the main theme of chapter 15? Y'all remember from last week? Faith. Jesus is correcting the Pharisees because their religious rituals were tossing away the need for faith. He said, no, I look for the heart. I want to see a genuine heart of faith. What does he see in these Gentiles who was with him for three days and they forgot to eat? Don't you think that might be a pretty good evidence that they had faith in Jesus Christ who was in front of them? You don't, think, don't you think Jesus, in seeing the sacrifice they made for their physical nourishment, he saw directly into their hearts as well? He's taking care of it all. He's making a bold claim here. He's making a, he's, he's actually, by Jesus feeding 4,000 Gentile men plus their wives and children, what is Jesus telling the Pharisees back at the beginning of chapter 15? Salvation is for all, not just you. Now let's look here at verse 37. I mean, we can drop down, well, 34 through 37. If you want to read those verses again, the details there of him breaking the bread and distributing the bread and the fish, and then gives them to the disciples, and then the disciples give them to the crowds. And verse 37, look at the outcome of this wonderful miracle. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. They all ate and were satisfied. Gentiles, satisfied by the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, not just spiritually, but now physically. That's a miracle in itself. The lessons here in this conclusion, I think, is that if we're not willing to trust God with our bodies and with the needs of our bodies and the use of our bodies, we will never surrender our souls to his lordship they were satisfied. If we're not willing to give up our physical being to our Lord, we'll never give Him our souls. If we don't take care of our bodies and we don't give our bodies to the Lord, we'll never give our souls to the Lord. These folks, they sacrificed their meals. They sacrificed eating bread for three days. Because they were so enraptured with the spiritual reality in front of them. Remember, these were Gentiles and they witnessed the God of Israel in their midst. They had never seen that before. They were the outcasts. And now Jesus comes into their presence. Satisfaction in Jesus Christ is possible by anyone from anywhere at any time. Why is this true? Because hearts are all the same regardless of where we come from. Hearts are the same whether you're Jewish, whether you're Gentile. Hearts are the same whether you are American or whether you're Ukrainian. Hearts are the same whether you're American or you're an immigrant coming up from South America. Look here at what our Lord says Because hearts are all the same, regardless of who we are or where we come from. Romans chapter 3 helps us see this too. When we think about the idea of salvation and the genuine heart, here's what the Apostle Paul helps us understand. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 25. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for what? For all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. All hearts can receive this salvation. Repentant hearts Humble hearts, genuine faith, regardless of who you are, is what God honors and God replies to. You see, the only way for any soul to be truly satisfied is in Christ Jesus alone. I don't care who you are. These 4,000, their bellies were satisfied, but before that, their souls were satisfied. That's important for us in, as reformed-minded people who really embrace, and rightly so, the idea of election and predestination. Who determines who are outside and who are inside? Ain't us. God knows the heart. Jesus knew the heart. He knew the hearts of these Gentiles and he's making a bold statement here in this mass, this grand feeding miracle, not just to the Jews in Matthew 14, but now at the end of Matthew 15, I am going to feed the Gentiles too. They were not God's people, at least not in the sense of God's chosen people, but all humanity belongs to God and all of us are made by him for his glory And I don't care where you come from. If your heart is humble, God responds. If your heart is proud, God responds too. So God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and even God's Holy Spirit... They provide here in this context, and likewise, they provide for us. Jesus provides here in the way that only God can. Only the Son of God in physical time and space can do this. The Gentiles, remember back in Matthew 15, 31, the Gentiles wondered when they saw the mute speaking, and the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So when God works, when Jesus saves, He saves not only the soul, but He also saves the body. Let's not forget that. The two are intertwined, united as a complete whole. Faith is the only way to salvation in Jesus Christ, period. But faith in the goodness of God's grace is seen in two different ways. This Faith in the goodness of God's grace is a spiritual good and also a corporeal good. Let me give you, you all know what a corporeal is? The spiritual we understand. The corporeal is that which is physical, that which is bodily. There is the good of the spirit. There is the good of the body. And God shows his goodness and his grace to both. Now, as good, reformed minded people, we have to quote a good Reformation theologian from time to time. I quoted, uh, who was it I quoted? It was Calvin a couple weeks ago. Let's talk about Martin Luther. Here's what he says. Martin Luther helps us to understand the significance of trusting Jesus for all that we need, both the spiritual need for eternal life and the physical needs of living in the now. Here's what he says. If I cannot commit my body to him that he may feed it, much less can I commit my soul to him that he may always preserve it. If I cannot trust the Lord to feed my physical needs, I will never trust my Lord to preserve my soul for eternity. So how do we take this theme of this passage home with us today? How do we take what Jesus is doing here, what God is showing us here? Here at the end of this passage, verse 37, And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Verse 38, Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And verse 39, After sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. That region of Magadan, by the way, here's a good Bible trivia thing for you. That's the region that Mary of Magdalene went, came from. How do we, how do we, how do we take this home? These Canaanite Gentiles, these outsiders that the religious elite of Israel would have nothing to do with, they stood in wonder and awe at Jesus. They knew their status as outcasts. They, they knew their place. They were outcasts from the people of Israel. They knew that God favored his chosen people. But what God showed them there here in, in this miracle, I think, is that the chosen people, the elect, are not just born into the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The chosen people were not just of the house of David. God's chosen people are all people whose hearts are humble and whose hearts are faithful, regardless of pedigree. Did the God of Israel come for us? I think that's what they're asking here. That's what the latter half of Matthew 15 is showing us. These Gentiles were saying, did the God of Israel come to us? Wow. And if Jesus can be this faithful toward Gentile outsiders who followed him for three days, listening to him teach, witnessing his miracles, learning to trust him, can we see Jesus the same way? Can we? Do you see Jesus as the sole provider for all that you need, both physical and spiritual? We're not talking about a prosperity gospel dependence here. Of Jesus is going to feed my belly and feed my wallet, no, the prosperity gospel ignores the what's happening here. When God provides, He provides for the body, but He provides for the soul, and the body doesn't need a Rolls-Royce or a Rolex watch. The body needs food, the body needs shelter, the body needs rest. But the soul, how can we feed our souls? God provides for it all. So do we see Jesus this way? Do we see Jesus as the sole provider for all that we need? Not all that we want, all that we need. Both the physical and the spiritual. Jesus says this, come follow me. I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread that we hunger for. Whether you're a saved, baptized, born again, believer in Jesus Christ, or you're just a pagan outside of the fold. He's the bread that we all hunger for. And we see in these great feeding miracles, that's what Jesus is showing them. I going to give you what you're craving. And I'm going to show you that a great miracle that you can never ignore. So that you cannot go around and say, you know, yeah, I helped Jesus do that. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know. How many of y'all have taken a loaf of bread and multiplied it to feed 5,000, and 4,000 people? Pretty big. A lot of mothers in this room are going, Dear Jesus, teach me how to do this with my kids. Ask the Lord to depend, to provide and depend on Him. Amen? Nathan, come on forward, buddy. But let's also not forget what we can take away from this passage is that, folks, Let's not get so prideful in our status as redeemed, as born again saved, that we forget that there are those that God loves that are not in the fold yet. We can feed them. If we feed their bodies, we're going to feed their souls too. We don't just feed the soul, we got to feed both. Amen? But then at the same time, we can't just feed the belly and just say, go on your way and never share the gospel with them either. That'll take care of both. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would cause us to be so enraptured by your son that we forget to eat. That we are so enamored with the truth of your word that this physical world that drags us down is something that we start to forget about. But God, we do have a physical reality. You made us. We need nourishment for our bodies. We need medical care for our bodies. Oh, dear God, we need you. And so God, please always remind us and show us over and over again If you can take care of 4,000 Gentiles and you can take care of 5,000 Jewish people with just a little bit of crumbs, you can take care of us. But God, I pray that you would cause us to be reminded that that it is you that we crave. Your Son, Jesus Christ, is the bread of life that we desire. When we forget this, Father, remind us but always bring us home. Lord, there may be those in this room right now who are, are, are struggling with craving and and they're hungering for something they don't know what they're hungering for. But Lord, you are showing us in your word that you provide for all that we need. And Lord, the biggest need that we crave for is a reconciliation with our Father in heaven. Our sin is separating us. And God, I pray that those who are wrestling with this, that you would reveal to them and awaken within them a hunger for your son, Jesus Christ, who alone can satisfy what they need. Remind us, God, that we are nothing without you. Remind us that apart from your son, Jesus Christ, we are lost and and, and have nothing. Please feed us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.